This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay. I feel like I was a brunette when I cut my hair into bangs. It looked a lot darker. Yeah. Do you remember how dark it looked? It looked bizarre. Never seen anything like that. You gave yourself a haircut and it changed your hair color. It was <laughs> odd. <laughs> it made me think you were hadn't gotten your hair cut, you were lying, and you were wearing a wig. Which is also a prank I, I wouldn't bangs? put past you. Do you remember you? when I was going through something and I got bangs? Listen, we all go through something. We all go through bangs. That's for sure. All right. By the way, Quinn, did you get a tattoo while I was gone? <laughs> so, um, you know the paranormal mystery show I wrote? Yeah. This is, I hosted it yesterday. <gasps> I know exactly the part. And this is part. a part Thank of the, you. I did that. the yes. show. Yes. So, um, I know I didn't get a Death Eater tattoo, <laughs> but now I'm thinking about it because I kind of, every time I put on a temporary tattoo, no matter what the tattoo is, I'm always like, this looks kind of good. So, okay. <laughs> It'll be okay. anything. It'll be like... A unicorn on my neck. And I'll be like, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about it. I might do this. I think I should do it. So that's why I can't get a tattoo because I think that about any tattoo anywhere on my body. Okay. Okay. So there's this tattoo now. Mm -hmm. There's this tattoo that's this thing. And you get it. It's a needle. You get it. It's in Williamsburg. It's called ephemeral tattoo. Uh And it disappears after a year. Oh, my God. How much is it? So I think it's probably money. expensive, but here's the thing, though. To me, worth it. I also thought about getting an ink box tattoo. Have you seen those ads? Uh-uh. It's going to come up on your phone now. Okay, great. So they're ink listening. Box, ink box, ink box. So what it is is it's like a temporary tattoo, but you put it on, and then it develops and it lasts for like a month. Wait, uh, it develops. It basically stains your skin. It's not henna. How fucking bad for your body must this she be? Bangs, what she tattoo bangs. would you get? Like, what would it be? So there's this tattoo artist that I like that does really, like, really, like, thin stenciling. Mm-hmm. I probably would get something maybe in my grandma's handwriting. Mm, I love that. Um, what would it say? I already regret this. <laughs> yeah. She, my grandma has such beautiful penmanship, has such beautiful penmanship. In fact, I was over there. It's pretty morbid. But my sister wanted me to collect handwriting for my grandma so I was over there hanging out with her and I was like grandma here on this piece of paper write all of the names of your of your grandchildren and your kids but on it as well my grandma wrote fuck this so I probably would get the word fuck on my body she she wrote fuck this is yeah. there a reason yeah I think I asked her to write it she said fuck Trump or like fuck this or fuck it she I think she wrote fuck it my grandma swears a lot and I said grandma if I get a tattoo it's gonna be a fuck in your handwriting and I she, actually want that tattoo I want fuck it in your grandma's handwriting. On my, yeah. On would, my body. I don't know where to put it. I mean, the other thing I thought about would be the word, not oh, so, as soon as I say it, I roll my eyes. But when I was 17, my grandma gave me, like, part of a, you know, bridal shower or something, was my mom gave 
frames that had quotes in it that had written like that had quotes i know it's like gather but it's bear with so me in the land of gather it's in the land of gather which is like a kids show we're going to come out with soon it's going to be great the land of gather disperse disperse um and my grandma had picked out a joseph campbell quote for me that she picked out specifically for me and it said when you follow your bliss doors will open where there would not have been doors and I've kept that since I was 17. And dear readers, it's true. When you follow your bliss, doors will open where there would not have been doors. This podcast, there's so many things in my life that I've said yes to because I was following what being happy or I was just going for my bliss. And I've been so surprised at the doors that have opened. And so I thought maybe getting the word bliss somewhere Mm-hmm. But again, it's so cheesy, right? Like it's so trite. But I don't know. There's, I, there's the something. The problem about... is you would have to. I mean, here's the thing: if you're gonna get it and you're gonna look at it and it's gonna do what you just said and make you think of that, mm-hmm. great. The problem is if you're gonna get it and Joe Schmo's gonna look at it, you're gonna have to tell the whole story you just did. <laughs> like I'm not basic. My grandma rules, period. That's all you need to know. You know what? Get bliss on, like, one wrist and basic on the other. (laughs) (laughs) And then get the Chinese symbol for ocean on the back of your neck. That's misspelled and it's just as, like, perv. (laughs) You know, but someone once told me about a tattoo. Like, okay, there's obviously, there's a couple, there's a lot, you know, people feel differently about tattoos. It doesn't need to have a meaning. It's your body. You could do whatever the hell you want with it, right? Someone told me once that... They love this artist and they view their body as like a, a canvas for that artist. And so that artist can put their mm-hmm. work on their on your body, which I thought was a beautiful thing. Someone once told me to like not get um, to get a memory of a thing on your body, you know, like something that has happened. Like, that's why you should never get a name on your body unless it's my grandma. Or but yeah, kids, so. I probably like I could probably get my grandma. I probably could get fucking my grandma's writing somewhere on my body but I just don't know where that would be yeah I I, my grandma swears quite a lot I really really like fuck it in grandma's writing yeah I like that a lot I'm leaning that way now for me for you for you and I have it my sister has the envelope I can and it's because it's like beautiful like she just it's that old the way pen, my grandma's a perfectionist, so it's like the old perfectionist, like beautiful font. It's like calligraphy. Yeah, it's calligraphy. And she's, I mean, she's older now, so, you know, it's not as beautiful as it once was. Like, I have, I still keep my envelopes from when she gave us cash, where she would, you saw her trace it in um, pencil, and then she wrote over, like, Merry Christmas, and she would, like, she was a beautiful artist. My grandma was a teacher. She didn't love teaching, but she's an incredible artist. Like, her, her son wanted... Um, the dark side of the moon um, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a lot of money so she painted that piece and my cousin now has it so it's like there's just really cool She she's a she's a rad lady so yeah she at my brother's wedding we were in downtown Chicago and she was riding in a car and the window was open and she just kept yelling fuck Trump to everyone mm-hmm. that's my grandma and I'm so proud of her Yeah, I love her very very much she's like I mean I really look at who I am, and that's something I reflect on often, you know, of, like, all the gifts the loved ones in our life give us, you know, Mm -hmm. of, like, all the... And I see my grandma in my mom and her siblings, and I see my grandma through, you know, our parents and my cousins, and it's cool. 
it's cool to see that um, passing on of those cool traits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you something? Yeah, of course. When you were little, your parents were like, there's a Santa, like, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I stopped believing in Santa. When? I remember my uncle was Santa, and I remember I got, like, a shitty computer for holo- for Christmas one year, and I could type. And my dad was like, this is bad. We're returning it, because, it, like, I would type faster when I was a kid. It shouldn't work that way. I was typing faster than the words would show up. But I remember writing a letter to my mom being like, I know that that Santa is not real, but I know there is a real Santa. Like, I remember being like, the jig is up on my uncle, but Santa is still real. And then, this is greedy, but... I got greedy. This is shitty, but I got greedy. Then when I found out Santa wasn't real, I didn't want to tell my parents mm-hmm. because I didn't want to stop everybody from getting gifts. Oh, like it I doesn't stop, girl. No, it they doesn't. just start saying it's for me. Yeah, it actually was great because I got to finally thank my mom and dad. But my mom and dad made Christmas always so magical. Like my mom loves loved loved giving gifts from santa but i mean i yeah there there is this element of like i was the youngest i was like if i tell them that i know santa isn't real Mm -hmm. i'm gonna take away gifts from my brother my sister and they're never gonna forgive me Right. You're like, I have to play the role. I I thought I was going to ruin Christmas. It's interesting because Matt's very attached to like the no line thing and like not deceiving that vibe. And so, but Brayden is very attached to Koa. We're making cookies for Santa and we're going to leave them out and we're going to leave out carrots for the reindeer and the next day they're going to be gone. Which I did for my nephews this year because I was home for them. They didn't see me leave the cookies up, but before we went to bed, I took a little, like I put a little milk. And I poured it out so it looked like it had been drank and I crumbled up little cookies and I took a bite of a carrot and I we came down and I wrote a letter for them to Santa with some of their cousins that were there. And I like I, I set the scene that Santa came and he ate these cookies because it was so cool. Like to see the cookie crumbles, like oh, that yeah. magic. Yeah, we did that too. It is that part was really funny because so the way we speak to Koa about it is that we say Santa is a story just like Octonauts is a story or mm-hmm. any of those other things that you whatever. The Grinch, it's a story. Like we all we, we like to tell stories. There's a character and his name is Santa and here's what he does. And Koa has never asked like beyond that, like, but does that really happen or anything? So it's been kind of funny because um, when we did the cookies and the he came out and saw them and he just stared at them for the longest time because he left them out with Brayden. And so there's the empty milk and the cookies and the the carrot. And um, Koa just stared at it and goes, Mama, I have a feeling Santa could be real. And I was like, that makes what do you say to up. that? Like, I was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, or someone else could have eaten these. It's very mysterious. That's what he told me. It's very mysterious. And I said, indeed it is. And then we just moved right along. And then when he saw that there was presents under the tree for Brayden, that weirdly made him decide Santa was real. Because he goes, he saw Ozzy later that day and he yelled at him, hey, Ozzy, Santa Claus might be real because he brought presents for this guy and pointed to Brayden. (laughs) 
like, that's so weird that that's what made you think he's real. Anyway, it makes me think about, like, that thing of, like, lying to your kid or not lying, but, like, lying under the name of magic. And it reminds me a lot of, like, this story that is so, I don't know if I've told you this before, but when I was a little kid, I went to the beach with my dad one day and we were holding hands. We were in Hawaii and a really, really big wave came. And by the time my dad realized how big the wave was, it was too late and we were really in the thick of it. Yeah. And I was little, I don't know, maybe five or something. The wave crashed down on us. And he felt my little hand come out from his in I think you've told the water. Oh, God. And from my perspective, I remember opening my eyes underwater and seeing my dad underwater and seeing his eyes closed and grabbing his hair. I believe to this day that did happen. What I blacked out is that he was probably grabbing at me, too, and, like, got me and we were fine. But in my mind... I pulled him out of the water mm. ashore. And for years, I guess that day I maybe ran up to my mom and was like, I just saved dad's life. And my dad like loved that because how cute is that to be like five and be like, you're welcome, everyone. And I would always tell that story after that, that I had like saved his life and pulled him ashore. Yeah. And he liked me telling that story so much that he never wanted to make a correction on it. Yeah. But then I think I got maybe too old to tell it where it didn't make a lot of sense. And I was like 12 telling it. And my mom was like, you know, that's not what happened, right? <laughs> I was like, what? No. And she's like, yeah, you were five. Like, dad saved you. You didn't save dad. <laughs> and my dad got so mad at her and was like, right, oh, <laughs> I think because he wanted, like, that magic, that Santa Claus magic vibe to stay. And she was Ugh. probably like, kids at school are going to beat you up if you keep telling that story. <laughs> like, you're making your dad look like a shitty dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, the magic of kids, like, I mean, I'm curious why Matt, Matt thinks it's lying. And I understand He's why. He's careful about it he doesn't want to say there's no such thing or something really mm -hmm. uh dismissive but he also he says he doesn't want to lie and say there is this thing that there isn't because he doesn't he wants to set a precedent of just like we don't lie and i'm like oh i fucking lie like you know what sometimes i mean sometimes kids just need yes and no and it doesn't matter you can lie and say well we're this this candy is not good for you yeah. Well, sometimes when you're trying to get to the shortest answer with a small kid, you do have to tell, like, a pretty chill white lie about whatever. Yeah. Um, or just when you're trying to get out of things. I mean, the playground's closed. Whatever it is. Right? Like... I mean, you. I think you do it often because it's easier than a nuanced explanation. And frankly, kids' brains can't handle nuances at this age, right? Sometimes yes and no is the easiest thing for kids. Like, reasoning with kids... Like, if you were to explain why, you know, why, I mean, I can't, like, yeah, why the store closed, like, certain nuances, you don't need to tell them. Like, but Matt, all Matt does is do nuances in a way where when I try to do, like, a very general thing, like, I don't know, 
You can't eat too much chocolate because it's not good for you. Something super fucking simple. In Matt's head, he looks for the way that's not true. He's yeah. like, although dark chocolate koa, they have done studies on. And As I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to tell this four-year-old about like... Well, I just, I'm again, I, this one podcast, it was Fresh Air and it was an interview with this person. Oh, I I'm love trying, Fresh Air. I do too. I love Terry Gross. She's such a good interviewer. And I, it was about this... I think it's a hypocampus or hypothalamus. I don't know what part of the brain is underdeveloped, but it's a brain. It's a part. And I think I've talked to you about it. It's like what causes kids to be painfully present. It's like when mom and dad leave, it's they're leaving forever. Mm -hmm. They're not coming back. And the Mm -hmm. older you get, the more you can learn like, oh, parents return. You know, things are not permanent. Things I can't have the food now, but I can have it later. That's actually like a physiological part of your body that's just underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. Like it's not... By reasoning with kids, I, you know, I don't know, I don't have a kid, but like by reasoning, sometimes you're like putting a lot of information that might be more confusing to them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except being like, this is bad for you. No, period, whatever it is. I just, who knows? I mean, I don't have a kid. I can't, you know, but I, I don't know the story of that Koa looking at the cookies and that magic, like. I guess I don't feel like my parents lied to me at all. I think what they wanted me to experience was like magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think what's a, what's a, to be careful about is some parents want that magic for their kids and to not, you know, to not ruin it for another family. That's the other thing, too. You can't right? your kid be the kid that's going to school. Saying Santa isn't real. Even was so cute when he yelled that to Ozzy. I think Santa might be real because uh, <laughs> really this guy got presents. That. I really like that. Also, I think Ozzy was probably like, never occurred to me he wasn't, dude. What do you mean? <laughs> it's like, go <laughs> Isn't there a difference between preserving some magic or having some mystery in magic and a lie? Yeah, it's like going to a magic show. I don't want to know how they do the they're tricks. Not li- and they're but lying. But I'm like, don't explain to me how you. you just did that. They are. It's <laughs> the same thing. This is the hill I will it's die. Illusion. Magicians are liars. Magicians, <laughs> just liars. Hey, you're listening to Truly Darkly. Creepily. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ippenlove. We're about to tell some stories, but first a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. We're the hosts of ODFN. That's one from murder. Each week, we discuss a true crime murder case and intertwine our unique sense of dark humor. Each episode relates to a word starting with the letter D. The stories we tell are serious and true. Our opinions are not. But be warned, we don't hold back on the details of the case or our inappropriate comments and colorful language. Join us every Monday on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode of ODFM. We're on a full ride scholarship to hell. We have another podcast to promote. Guys, this podcast is awesome. And in fact, we have a really soft spot in our hearts for them because they have featured us on their true crime podcast. We want to tell you about the Indie Drop-In Network, specifically their true crime podcast. What they do is they take an episode from already existing podcasts and they showcase new true crime, which is super fun. And what's really cool is it gets people to listen to us to get a sample of one of our episodes and then they can find our full library. So if you've gone through all of our episodes and you're like, ah, I'm looking for a new podcast, go to Indie Drop-In True Crime and you can take a look and you can find the podcast, the next podcast you want to be on. Yeah, a bunch of different true crime shows are on there um, and you'll get to hear 
cold cases, murders, white collar crime, cults, military crimes, social injustice. We were featured, you guys. Do you remember the episode we did carry uh, Common, When You Die? I love that That's episode. my favorite laugh. I think if I look back, it's my favorite laugh in the whole wide world that we've done on Truly Directly Creepy. Well, it's featured. It's featured on Indie Drop-In Network's True Crime uh, series. And so imagine, imagine if you had never heard us and then you found us from them. Well, that's what you're going to do. You're going to get on there and find somebody else. I can't recommend it enough. It is Indie Drop-In, True Crime. Enjoy. Happy True Crime listening. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Um, My turn. Great. Can't wait. Okay. I'm telling this story I'm doing this this week. How could I? I'm not a magician or a liar. You're a liar. I am a liar. You are a little but bit a of a liar. a terrible magician. No, I don't think you are. I'm not a liar, but I'm, um, I can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm a liar. I, I actually know I'm not a liar. I'm a terrible liar. Yeah, you can't lie. That's like, the difference. I can if I want to. But I'm I an won't. actor, which is what, when people are like actors are liars. No, no, no. They're not. No, but I will tell you, when I met Matt at a bar, and we were first dating and I found out he was an actor, I was like, ooh, buzzkill. <laughs> Never been so turned off in my life. Um, should I go on this date with this 26-year-old? Is he an actor? Because no. No. Is he an architect? Because yes. <laughs> You know, like, what does he do? He's 26. I think he works for a pro does he play a lot of video I think he games? works for, I think he, he works, he lives in Brooklyn. I got to text him back. I'm doing the story of Adam Walsh. Why do I know the name? John Walsh. John Walsh. Why do I know that name? America's Most Wanted. <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. We haven't done this case yet. And I was talking to my mom. I have the book. You do? Mm-hmm. You have his book? Mm-hmm. That he wrote about why. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So please interject whenever you get an I haven't opportunity. Read it. Oh. I haven't read it yet. Amazing. Uh, well, it's funny. I was talking to my mom, my grandma, speaking of my grandma, we talked about her earlier, but my grandma talks about how when she, um, when she would go Christmas shopping, speaking of Santa, and she had to get gifts for her kids, but they couldn't see what they were. And mm-hmm. she had five kids within six years, my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, she would drop her kids off at the toy section of the of the store and do her shopping. That was really common. Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. You're killing me. I got the information from Wikipedia, NBC Miami, NBC West Palm Beach, History.com, Kira 7, and The Sun. So Adam Walsh's parents are John Walsh and Reve Drew. Reve takes her son, Adam, who is six years old, to the Sears in Hollywood, Florida. She wants to go inquire about a lamp that she likes. So she does what every parent, I want to stress, what every parent did at that time, which was she went to the toy section and her six-year-old son saw an Atari game set that looked really cool. And he wanted to play, so she had to go, you know, 10 minutes to go take a look at a lamp that she was interested in. She was like, you stay here. I'll be back. Again, parents just did that. She leaves Adam by the Atari video games, and there were other kids taking turns. So she finishes with her lamps at around, like, 12, 15 p.m. Ten minutes later, she returns to where she left him, and he's gone. Panic doesn't really set in. She's like, oh, maybe he, like 
moves somewhere. So she is like looking around and then she asked the store manager. She was like, oh, my son was here. Did you see him? And apparently there were a couple boys there and they were fighting about whose turn it was. And it, you know, kids fighting. And there was a 17 year old security guard on the premises on duty um, and they were fighting. And so he was like, all right, if y'all are fighting, like no more turns for all of you get out of the store. And little six-year-old Adam was a really shy little kid. And so he was around these bigger kids. And what they what they think happened was that he was too embarrassed to say that he was with his mom or he didn't tell anyone that these weren't who he was with. So he just like left with them out the store. So he's outside in an unfamiliar situation. So the mom finds this story out and she goes to the PA system like my mom has done in stores because I was a runner or I would hide in those like little things and or Whitney stores in the clothing rack I once. do too yeah I do so I do scary. that it's so fun and then you pop out or you just like wait yeah I've done that give your parents brain hand my mom but my mom had a loud voice she'd be like Carrie and you'd be like <laughs> it was like a cattle call my I'm, friend Lucy's whatever. mom had one of those crazy whistles <gasps> I wish I could do that I wish I could we got a train for those that those are cool so she goes to the PA system she calls for Adam they're looking around. So she's getting more people involved. She happens to run into John's mother at the store, her mother-in-law. And so her mother-in-law was just at the Sears. So she enlists her mother-in-law and they search. They end up searching the store and going over the PA for 90 minutes looking for little Adam. He's nowhere to be found. It's 1.55 p.m. and they call the police. At this point, a massive hunt is 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 on right they're searching for kids they have pictures of him at this time it's 1981 baby jessica in the well just to put into context i believe was like 87 that was sort of the first thing with the with 24-hour news right 24-hour news wasn't a big deal at this point so a missing kid wasn't eliciting as much publicity as it, as it does now in the 24-hour news system so john and reve would go on local and national news to talk about their son and that he was missing and they were trying to find him. They offered a $100,000 reward for his safe return. And even in the notice and in where the reward is, is like, we do not seek retaliation. We will not prosecute. Just give us our kid back. Like very clear, like we, no questions asked, take the money, give us our kid. Desperate, right? They hung posters saying it would be confidential. They went on TV. About two weeks later, on August 10th, um, there was a fisherman in a canal about 130 miles from Florida, from Hollywood, Florida. And they found a head, a severed head in the canal. It was not ID'd. August 11th, after they found it, both John and Rive went on TV asking for, hoping their son would be returned alive, offering the reward again, just behaving as if that was not him because it wasn't ID'd. Very soon after their August 11th appearance, a family friend took a look at the head and they recognized the gap in the teeth having belonged to Adam Walsh and dental records identified the head as belonging to Adam Walsh. The coroner ruled that the death was caused by asphyxiation um, and he died a couple of days before the head was discovered. They'd never found the rest of his body. The face had bruising and a broken nose, which is to say that there was um, beating 
There were injuries inflicted on the head before it was severed. Four days after Adam's funeral, the Walshes began the Adam Walsh Outreach Center for Missing Children. Both parents have been quite outspoken about the police during the investigation of the missing child case and the murder case, and both have been incredibly critical of how poorly they handled the case. Mm -hmm. The investigation led police to focus on Otis Toole. This happened in 1981, right? Otis Toole was in jail, and in 1983, he confided to a cellmate that he was the one that killed Adam. Mm -hmm. His story is he saw Adam near the front of the Sears, where he had left from the Atari machine, He told him that he had candy and toys in his car. Adam gets in the car. He drives away. Adam is calm at first, but then he starts to panic and starts asking for his mother and starts crying. At this point, Tool hits him and proceeds to beat him unconscious in the back of the seat. He continues to drive and he finds that Adam is still conscious and breathing. So he takes a seatbelt and he strangles, he strangles Adam and he decapitates him with a machete. He claims he burns Adam's body in an old refrigerator and the head he kept in the car until he disposed of it in the canal where it was found. His motive was to take Adam to be his adoptive son, but then he realized that wouldn't work. They find blood in Tool's car, but again, this is years after the incident. They find blood, but it has not been identified the police end up losing the bloody carpet from the car the machete that they found and the car itself how do you lose those things they're really large items it's not like a fucking earring like what they lose the car they lost a car they lost a car I mean, when you say they're being critical of the police, I don't even think you can call it critical. They lost a car? They lost all of the fucking evidence. Every what the evidence. Fuck? They have a confession and then the evidence, and they take pictures. They take fucking pictures that aren't even developed yet, and I'll get to that later. So Otis Toole ends up recanting his confession, mm-hmm. right? And at the time, though, they do have eyewitnesses that place him in Hollywood, Florida, a couple days prior to the abduction of Adam. He was in jail already serving like five life sentences for other crimes and murders. Um, But he was never convicted of Adam's murder. He Mm. died in jail of liver failure in 1996. And there's been no new evidence. Um, Although at his deathbed... Otis Toole's niece says that he did confess to Adam's murder. But at the time, Otis and his, you know, colleague who was also a killer, a murderer, they had made a lot of confessions over the years. People have evidence to believe that they were coerced into a lot of confessions by the Texas Rangers, which used some pretty unreliable, I think, investigate uh, interrogation tactics. So in 1988... Dad, John Walsh, becomes an advocate for victims of crimes, and he starts to host America's Most Wanted and In Pursuit um, with John Walsh. 
In the 80s, after Adam Walsh's abduction, parents obviously stop leaving kids at the toy store, right? Mm-hmm. And there becomes this, this like abduction panic, right? This was at a time in the eight, early 80s where kids could go and play at night and you're as long as you're home before night t- nightfall, like yeah. you're all good. This really changed a lot of things for people. Parents became way more concerned about where their kids were. Um, mm-hmm. We were told not, you know, I mean, we all were told, I, anyone listening knows, if somebody says you have, they have candy, run away, right? Yeah. Um, in 1997, John Walsh writes his book, Tears of Rage, mm-hmm. which is the book you have, yeah. which highlights the police the, the police department's shoddy work. The case gets more attention. Hollywood, Florida opens up the case and looks at the evidence again. A police chief at the time looks at the confession video of Otis Toole, and he says, beyond a reasonable doubt, Toole totally murdered Adam. But again, the evidence has all been lost. In 2006, another detective takes a look. And I had said that there were pictures of the car that had not been developed. Mm-hmm. Well, this officer took a look at the... Um, pictures developed them and noticed that there looked to be a face transfer on the carpet like the blood of the face made a mark on the carpet oh so he also believes that otis otis tool is the person Mm -hmm. who did it however in 2007 jeffrey dahmer became a suspect right so jeffrey dahmer he was arrested in 1991 and his mo was he decapitated but and he you know his victims were young boys. His youngest victim was eight, so Adam would be two years younger. However, in 1991, when Dahmer was arrested, Dahmer's father called into America's Most Wanted and said that he believes his son was a pedophile. At the time Adam was abducted in 81, Jeffrey Dahmer was living in Miami Beach. So he was in the area mm-hmm. where Adam Walsh was taken. Um, two eyewitnesses put him there and they put him at a blue van or they saw a man taking a young kid in a blue van. And we all know how unreliable eyewitness testimonies mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, Jeffrey Dahmer was working at a place that did have a blue van. So there are some like sort of connections that seem to make sense. Um, but they did interview Dahmer when they caught him in 91 and asked him about Adam Walsh. And he was like, listen, I've admitted to everything else. I've admitted to eating my victims. If I did it, I would admit it. And I didn't do Nothing it. Nothing to lose. Right. Um, Dahmer died in prison in 1994. John Walsh believes they are not connected. John Walsh does not believe Jeffrey Dahmer. I and like John. I trust John. Shit. I trust him. Yeah. I think we all do. As of December 16th, 2008, the police have officially closed the case and are content that Toole was the murderer. John Walsh has said, I have no doubt. I've never had any doubt. So he's always maintained that he does believe Otis Toole killed, abducted and killed Adam Walsh. What I've read that was wild was because the case had been open, Adam's head was still in the morgue while the case was open. So finally in 2008, they were allowed to bury him. They were allowed to bury and put him, put him to rest when the case was closed. In 1983, I know I'm jumping down in dates. What's crazy is John Walsh was a real estate guy 
And then his son was abducted and he went on to host this show, America's Most Wanted. In 1983, two years after the abduction, they made a TV movie called Adam. And it aired to 38 million people. After each showing of the film, of the movie, they would put pictures of missing kids. They would put a picture of them, a description, and a number to call. What's wild is of the 55 kids they showed after the movie Adam, they were able to find 13. Wow. Because of the show. Wow. Whether it was a babysitter recognized them. so many eyes on it. Now, America's Most Wanted also helped find a case you did, Elizabeth Smart. Mm -hmm. His his advocacy has in turn helped many, many people. Yeah. In 1984, the Walshes helped pass, the U.S. Congress passed the Missing Children's Assistant Act. Programs were developed called Code Adam which was in stores. It was called Code Adam and Adam's Memory. So if a kid was missing, they called it a Code Adam. Mm-hmm. In 2000... Like an Amber alert. Yeah, exactly. Is Amber based on mm-hmm. a kid named Amber? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. In 2006, Congress passed the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act, and that bill um, puts together a national database of convicted child molesters and increased penalty for offenses against children. And that was recently renewed. John Walsh, through his program, America's Most Wanted, has caught over 1,000 fugitives on his show, including the rescue of Elizabeth Smart. So I took some notes of some of the other people that he helped, and I'll do them at a later time in the show. But it's, I mean, we we talk about it so frequently Mm -hmm. about parents who are met with these devastating tragedies in their lives. And become advocates for their kids. You know, we saw it with Yardley Love, the mother who talked about domestic violence and abusive relationships. We see it with, you know, all the school shootings that our country has experienced and all these parents and kids that have become advocates for gun control. It's like you have drunk driving incidents where mad mothers against drunk driving. Like you have all of these organizations because people have suffered the unimaginable tragedy and they and they do something with it. And, I mean, John Walsh is a pretty famous example of, of just that. Oh. Wow. I'm really glad I don't have to read that book because I keep not reading it because it makes me so... I know the story well enough to know how sad it was. <laughs> and so I was always, like, picking it up and being like, I can't. And mostly it's the feeling of, Thinking about what the mom went through and the woulda, coulda, shouldas that she must have tortured herself with. And I can't stress this enough, though, too, is that everyone did what she did. And And I think, like, you know, growing up, obviously, we never did that. But my mom, like, my mom and her five siblings... We're always, you know, they, that was how my grandma oh, did Christmas shopping. I was allowed shopping. as a young kid to walk to my friend's house to play. Uh, and I remember, actually, my friend Lucy and I would walk to each other's houses. Um, how far away were you guys? Uh, maybe like a 15-minute walk. Oh, wow. That's pretty far. I was around, I was allowed down the block. My block had awesome, I'm still friends with people from my block growing up. Like, we had a maze, like, you walked you never well, cross the street. It's really great. funny. The only quote close call I recall is that um, one time 
Lucy and I were on the phone and said, well, we'll both meet. This is so mean I did this to her. We'll meet in the middle was, I think, our deal. And we got off the phone to walk to each other. And on the way, my mom's friend, this is confusing. My best friend was Lucy. My mom's best friend was Lucy. Uh Oh, well, our best friends are still Lucy, the same Lucy's, actually. (laughs) Um, But my mom's Lucy lived en route to my Lucy. And I passed by her house and she came out and invited me in for like a lemonade or something. And I went in. You shitty person. And Lucy got all the way to my house and was like, where's Quinn? And freaked out. And like I left, Your mom kept walking to her so house, scary. and I didn't see her. And there was this whole thing where it was before you had cell phones or anything. Obviously, Your mom must have been terrified. I don't think Lucy told my mom. I think that the only people afraid in that situation was Lucy and me, because I then walked to Lucy's and I got afraid that something happened to her because I am dumb, I guess, and didn't put together that. Yeah. That she had already passed. You are me. dumb. I do say that about you often. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. When I tell this story out loud, I really get that. Um, <laughs> no, you were a kid. That's so funny. I what is? I mean, I remember walking with a friend. I mean, I had neighbors, so when I walked to elementary school by myself, like I rem- it was like I walked with my neighbor. Probably my brother walked me when he was in like nine or ten. I'm just trying, I mean, we were walking distance to our elementary school, so, like, it really was not an issue at all. And I, you know, I don't, I I just am, like, thinking about when I had independence for the first time, because I have friends who have kids who are 12 in New York, and her and her husband had, you know, they both had some stuff going on where they were sick and they couldn't take their kid to school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's 12, and she was so excited to take the subway by herself Mm -hmm. and, like, loves this. And is, like, yearning for freedom. Mm -hmm. Like, she loves it. And, yeah, I I think, like, at an age where your kids really want that freedom, like, but, like, what is the proper age? You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to make your kids afraid. And New York is a big city. It's like Mm -hmm. I don't want my children to ever take the subway alone. I'm so like panicked, but like, but you have this like, really bad experiences on the subway. I can understand. That's true. You have like, you know what Koa told me? He hmm. knows that when you go to college, you go to school with only kids, and he's concerned about it. He's excited about it because he thinks that sounds fun to live with all kids. But he told me the other night, he's like, "Mom, all kids, eighteen year I just awesome. figured out um, how we can all cross the street since there won't be grown ups there. In college. And I was like, oh, he what, said that? oh, what are you going to do? And he's like, we could just get stacked up on top of each other so that cars can see us. Co is confused. He's conflating real life with Dr. Seuss again. <laughs> but also, I That's love the really idea. Cute I was like, of kids just stacking and making a bridge. I love that. Yeah. I figured out how we can all go to cross the street in college. I love that. Wait till he finds out about drinking. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsors. (laughs) What do extraterrestrial radio signals in a mushroom in Texas have in common? They're both from fun guys. (laughs) (laughs) What's a number station and why is it so spine-tinglingly creepy? If you want to know the answers to these questions, I suggest you listen to the podcast Midnight Facts. Or insomniacs. We love a rhyming title that we have in common. It's these two really funny guys, Shane and Duncan, and 
They get together similarly like we do. They're pals and they chat everything weird the way we do. So, I mean, I think if you love us, you're going to love them. They have an episode that talks about why we wear costumes on Halloween. I want to know that. I do too. They do all kinds of weird deep dives into strange things. They talk about personality tests. (gasps) They talk about... Mm, If I have a personality, do you think they'll test that? (laughs) They'll see if you have a personality. (laughs) They'll see if you're alive. They talk about the history of weddings. Something I would love to learn more about. (laughs) Frankly, I'm looking at where my future is and I got questions. If any of this sounds interesting, and it should, go to Midnight Facts for Insomniacs and find it wherever podcasts are played. And we're back. Here's the thing. I basically just read this killer New York Times article that Uh, I was like, which one? I tried to do a bunch more research and everything I read was supplementary, but not even enough to note because this New York Times article slays, um, which is I love when that happens, man. It's by uh, Kim Barker, Steve Eater and David D. Kirkpatrick. And you guys, thank you for your hard work. This is um, about this uh, trooper, Jay Splane. He grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and he's super into the military. He goes to like a prep school that's kind of fancy, and the school has a gun club. Sounds fancy. Joins gun club. Sounds like a boring club. Sounds like a Second Amendment school. (laughs) (laughs) And in his senior yearbook, there's a picture of him like holding a gun and quotes beneath it from like a Confederate general. This guy's like, I'm horny for guns, and I'm going to go to Virginia Military Institute to do, like, a officer training program. He has a Confederate quote in these yearbook? Yeah. That's vile. He's gross. Um, So um, he joins, like, the competitive rifle team. All I'm trying to do is paint you the picture that this guy likes guns. (laughs) <laughs> is this someone who stormed the Capitol a year ago? Oh it God, totally it's going is. in that direction. It's going in that direction. If he was in the neighborhood, he'd have been front have and been center. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, but instead, in 2004, he became a state trooper. Oh, and God, I hate this story. Look, so... he's psyched because guess what? He gets to carry he gets around. But he's this guy who's obsessed with guns as a Confederate is a state trooper. By the way, this is what we talk about when there's fucking problems. This is. This is it, guys. This is fucking it. Sorry, this makes me irate. Okay, sorry. No, so, not sorry. It's factual. Done. He and his gun get a walk around together. <laughs> holding going hands. on dates. Holding, holding hands. But he, it's not like a really exciting area. It's like a rural Pennsylvania town where not a lot of action is happening. Um, like, <laughs> there's a, a newsletter that goes out about things and they mentioned that he was uh, able to track down a suspect in a paintball incident. You know, like... With his real gun. Well, right. <laughs> he was able to find someone who had a paintball well, gun. Well, probably another dude that loves guns. Sounds like it. Paintball incident? They deserve I don't each other. Know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Basically, I picture he's doing, like, traffic stops. It's probably Snooze Fest, USA. Right. So, but he has um, his gun. Well, here's the thing. There are... Nine 
fatal shootings by troopers in a cluster of the three sort of counties that he's inside of, including his county, there's nine, okay? Fatal shootings. So nine troopers are killed? No, 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 no. The troopers kill nine people. Correct. Okay. In three counties. Okay. He is responsible for four of those. Um, weirdly, they actually don't keep track of how many shootings troopers have in the course of their time. As Why keep you would track th- of that? That's, I mean, maybe, <laughs> that's so insane. You know what? Maybe they should. Hot tip. But the Do people, the minimum. Well, the people that wrote the article are like, just to give you an idea, um, one person in Arizona... And one person in Florida had pretty high numbers, which is to say two and four, respectively. But both of those troopers or officers actually were part of SWAT teams. So they're nine times out of ten going into a really, in a really dangerous, dangerous, crazy situation. situation. Right. Um, kind of odd that the guy we're talking about has four. And I just kind of explained to you what How his atmosphere safe his neighborhood is. is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Most Officers don't ever even fire their weapons, let alone kill people. But we found out that this guy killed four, and we just found out. Yeah. We just found out. The reason we just found out is that it wasn't disclosed. It was protected, that information. Is this an article about how we're unsealing? No. No. Okay. But I'm interested, but no. Yeah. What happened with this is that his most recent killing kind of like turned a few heads and they were like, this, let's look into, oh, that wasn't your first kill. Oh. And so they released this information on his past, which they had been previously guarding. Yeah. Essentially. So let me tell you what happened. First, in 2007, Joseph Rotkowitz is 37 years old, and he's having a hard time. His dad just died, and his girlfriend had an affair with his best friend. Oy. He's bipolar. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to manage. Um, yeah. And he ends up threatening suicide. And he has one of his brother's guns and his... And he's threatening suicide and his sister's there with him, mm-hmm. Linda. So's her friend Hans. And they're trying to calm him down, trying to get hold of the situation. And he ends up firing the gun at the ceiling. He's not threatening them, but he's fired the gun. He's and I fired think the gun that in their presence. Yeah. She's very nervous, not for her safety, but for his. Right. Um, and she's like, this is getting totally out of hand. I'm going to. I'm going to call the cops. And her brother, Joseph, is like begging her, don't call the cops because he wants to end his life is what he's saying. Um, But she wants to save him. It's her brother, right? So she does call the cops. The operators like go outside, you know, because they don't know if you're in danger or not or what. So she can the operator convinces Linda leave the house. Linda's now outside on the phone. Her friend Hans is still inside. Her brother Joseph is still inside. Joseph takes um, electrical tape and tapes the gun 
It's an Uzi, and he tapes it to himself so that it's pointing at his own head. Right. Do you understand? So it's against his body. Yeah, this sounds so sad. A bunch of state troopers roll up at this point. Um, No negotiators roll up at this point, which I think would have been the right. We'd have liked to see that. That's Mm -hmm. their job. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's their job because they know that in a situation like this where someone's threatening suicide, you are there to de-escalate. Right. Okay? You want to do what Linda was doing, pretty much. Try to keep the person really calm. Yeah. They can't call the house to talk to Joseph because Linda's outside and she has the cordless phone. Trooper Jace Lane and another trooper are like, we're going in. They go inside. Fucking Jace Lane. They tell Hans to leave. Hans does. And as he's leaving, he hears them say to Joseph, drop your weapon, which I just told you why that might be hard. Taped to his body. And then he hears two gunshots. Jay Splane shot him twice in the chest and he died from his wounds. His version of the story is that Joseph pointed the Uzi at him. That's not possible. It was taped to his body. When they write up the police report, they do not mention anything about the tape. Anything about the tape. You hear about the gun beat on the scene. You do not hear about the tape. What the report says is, look, we told this guy to lower his weapon, and then he lowered it at me, at Jace Lane, and then he fired. Uh, You know, so that's what they say. There's a court filing a few years later, and the state police's lawyer is like, yeah, the gun was taped to him, Um, and the autopsy report says, yeah, there was tape wrapped around the neck a couple times, and it, it was kinked in several areas. Like, there was tape there. Linda is like, hi, hey, what? Can I please see the police report? Can I please see the police report? I need to figure out what happened to my brother. And they're like, no, you can't see it. You can't see it. You can't see it. She gets a lawyer who's trying to help her see it. it takes like a decade, mm-hmm. like a damn decade for her to get to see it. Oh, in the meantime... The officer that they assign to examine the shooting is from the same unit as Jay Jay Splane. He calls a case, and I quote, a no-brainer. And is like, oh, you you get the feeling he didn't read it. Like, he goes, ah, it's a no-brainer. It was justified. And when they're like, well, what do you make of this tape thing? He's like, huh? I don't remember anything about tape. I don't even know what you're talking about. In November of that next year, Jay Splane is honored as police officer of the year. And that's basically in response to his, like, expert handling of this situation. May of 2017, Anthony Ardo, 47 years old, also going through a hard time. He's a drug addict. He's just gone through a really bad breakup and his mom has evicted him. He is also threatening suicide. He says he's going to blow himself up. So his mom calls the cops. And as bad luck would fucking have it, we know who rolls up. up. Jay Splane and junior trooper Eddie Pagan. 
Anthony's already left when they roll up. And they're like, you should try to get him back to the mom. And Anthony drives back up to the house, sees the cops, and is like, pass. Bye. (laughs) Keeps driving. Rather than, again, any attempt at a de-escalization, they're in a movie. And they give chase. And they're like, let's go. And they jump in their patrol vehicles. And they trap him between the two of them. And they draw their guns. And they start shooting. And Jace Lane fires nine times. The last three kill Anthony. And they say, well, we were in danger because he was lighting something around his neck. Which ended up being a fucking firework. He was trying to kill himself with a firework. Anthony's mom, he, they didn't get far. This whole chase thing happens right there. Anthony's mom watches this whole thing go down. She sees it all happen. She's a witness oh, to it. She files a wrongful death suit. And she's like, look, I could tell they weren't in any danger. I watched this thing happen. And they, all they needed to do was give my son space. And they crowded him, scared him, and then shot him. Right after he's killed, the state police lieutenant calls the district attorney who's like, well, my office is going to take the lead and we're going to assign a detective. The lieutenant is like, nah, my bosses are really going to want to be the ones to oversee this. So they're arguing about like who's going to look into this for a long time. They're in like a deadlock. So no one questions the troopers till a month later. What does that mean that no one questioned them for a month later? It means... No one asked them what happened but for it, a month. And they were able to get their stories right. They 100%. were able to... They can sit... You know they what they can, can do? Sit and they play, can watch they can talk the to a footage. Lawyer. They can watch the footage. They can talk to their lawyer. They can... I mean, there's so many... Re- they could talk to their union rep. There's so many things they could have done in that month. It's crazy. Jesus. And... State police assign an investigator from the same fucking troop to look over it. And they're like, we ask them to come forward if there's a conflict of interest. But I'm like, wait, 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 (laughs) Tio, here's the thing. I can tell you as an outsider that there is a conflict of interest. You don't need to ask them if there's a conflict of interest. Quinn, that's taking power away (laughs) from the power. You know, and we don't want to take power away from power. Oh my god. When this when this guy's interviewing them, he calls Trooper Ever Pagan Eddie. Like his nickname. Like he's calling him by a nickname. Cause they know each other. Because they're friends. So the DA is like, we're gonna bring this case to a grand jury, and they're like, they conclude that it's justified. But the jurors are like, we want to submit a public report that says, we want everyone to know that we've noted that the investigators gave these troopers special treatment. Yeah, yeah. We don't think it would have gone this way if it was somebody else. Yeah, yeah. The next year, uh, Trooper Splain is moved from the troop he's in. He was in troop, I don't understand this, but he was in troop. Troop Beverly Hills. Yes, he was in troop Beverly Hills. <laughs> Sorry. That was really good. Thank you. Um it was Shelly Long. Love um, her in that. They move him from Troop M to Troop L in Lebanon County. 
I didn't realize there was like an alphabet of troops. As you I know, guess, what, but I, yeah. what do I know? Um, <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> they move him to Troop L. March sixteenth, twenty twenty. Charity Tome is forty-two years old. She has some mental illness and drug addiction problems, and she is caught by the police trying to break in to her former home. And they start to chase her. She runs. She gets in her car. They drive after. The officer in pursuit, um, he starts to go after her Honda Accord. His name's Ryan Hayes. And then he tells the dispatchers, look, I'm not going to bother pursuing her. Um, there's only a few cars on the road right now. She's not endangering the public. Like... Made oh, a call to say, hey, we don't need to make a... There's no we don't reason need- to go bananas. We can also find her later and not make this a big thing right now. There's a lot of police departments that don't even let you do high-speed chases um, with nonviolent offenders well, because yeah, the liability, it's stupid. And it's, and it's also so dangerous for the general public around it. Yeah, like it's, it's like, let's find them later. Yeah, <laughs> like, and you have their her license we know plate. Where she, we know who it is. Yeah, like it's, all these things. But troopers explain... And a rookie, Trooper Matthew Haber. Are like, I know, I'm going to fucking insert myself in this and live out my, you know, wet dreams of being a high-speed police officer. I'm in a movie. I'm in a movie. movie. And I'm going to go do a high-speed chase. So they do. And Trooper Splane is doing, like, crazy things on the road to, I don't know, to be in the movie that's in his head. And forces her to, like, spin out into a field. She drives into Officer Hayes' SUV and hits it. They jump out of their vehicles, both of them, with their guns. And they're like, ah, show me your hands, like yelling. Trooper Splane fires. Then the rookie fires. Between them, they hit her seven times, and she dies. The person that oversees the investigation, her husband is based in the same barracks as Trooper Splane. Oh, right. Yes, of course. Uh Uh-huh. What she says is that Charity accelerated forward and drove into their the police officers' vehicles. Mm-hmm. And the troopers are like, yeah, it was really scary because um, the reason we shot is we didn't know what was going to happen. Charity could have done anything. She could have driven into us. She could have kept ramming our cars. But there was another officer present that's like estimates Charity was going five miles per hour. Neither of the vehicles that she hit, her vehicle or the vehicle she hit, were damaged. the airbags weren't deployed. So we know the velocity that we're dealing with here. Plus, remember, they said that when they got out, they were like, stop, stop, get out of the car, show me your hands. Mm-hmm. They didn't say any of that. Well, there's no commands you can hear on the dash cam footage. Also, Trooper Splain said, I got out. I tried to make all these things happen. You know, I was yelling all these directives she wasn't following. And how long did you do that for? Oh, 30 seconds. You can see in the dash cam, um, it's actually seconds, not 30 seconds. It's seconds. I can understand, like, time standing still, but, like, these guys, I mean, like, let's look at the fucking... That is so insane. So it's Especially because not... another officer said, hey, I'm not giving chase to this person. Mm-hmm. She's not a danger. So November 2020, the most recent one, was Charity. the one that, no. Remember? Yeah. Charity's three. 
He killed four people. In 2021. No, 20. Charity is March 2020. 2020. This is November 2020. This just happened a year ago. A couple months ago. No, 2021 was last year. Thank you. This just happened a year (laughs) and change Mm -hmm. ago. It's just so, what's so crazy is all these are mental health issues and shouldn't be handled, should be handled by a mental health professional. Andy Dizwanak, a 40 year old metal worker. Oh, this was sad. I read that he had been voted president of his high school class and they voted he had loudest laugh. Loudest oh. laugh. Andy's having a hard time too. His girlfriend is leaving him because of his drug habit. And he starts telling her he's going to kill himself. Um, I think the deal is that they have sons and they have uh, joint custody. Mm -hmm. Um, But she does get some sort of protective order against him because he's like threatening to kill himself in front of their kids and stuff. So he can't talk to her or text her. It keeps him away from her, but he is texting her. So she calls the cops to be like, he's breaking this protective order. Who shows up but fucking Jace Blaine and another trooper. And he's like texting her that he needs a thermometer for one of the kids. He drives up to her place. So Jay's like, great, this guy's really breaking the rules. When he drives up to the house, they're like, you're under arrest for violating this order. Trooper David Bohm is one of the people there and says one of the officers present gets caught inside Andy's vehicle. What? Like, almost like he's getting in the car to get Andy. And then Andy advanced and then reversed, dragging him, although he was not injured. Okay? Someone, and to be clear, David Bohm is like, it wasn't a really fast back and forth. And we know it's not a fast back and forth because Andy's driving like an old stick shift bug. So when you picture like forward and then back, just how long it takes you to shift the gears and get an old bug to go forward and then back. There's no way it was very aggressive. I picture the guy got mad because he like kind of tripped. You know what I mean? Made me look stupid in front of my friends. Totally. (laughs) It's Which, like, by the way, let's be honest, that's when we should be most in danger. That's why women, it's like when you embarrass a man, he'll fucking kill you. He will kill you. They try to tase him and it doesn't work. So Jay has to kill him. Jay, you I got just, some splaining to do. What I just don't understand is like why we aren't training. Like after the first one where it's like, why aren't we... Well, of course, it wouldn't have come to attention because, you know, they cover their tracks up so fucking well. But it's like what we're looking for with police reform is de-escalation, training in mental health issues and maybe not pulling a gun. This guy really loves guns and he loves firing them. And that was his whole That was his whole life. deal. And then he became like this trooper and he just was doing like traffic stops, I think. And he just needs to any situation that could possibly be escalated. He's showing up to try to escalate it. And he's really excited to try to get to use that gun. The New York Times has done like such a good job looking into this. They found inconsistencies between the evidence of what occurred and what the police say happened all over the place. Them. They're like uncovering this right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this article just came out, and 
they're seeing that there's all these police protocols we know about that are way, way, way not being followed. Yeah. But still, though, prosecutors and the grand jury concluded that the first three of these shootings I told you about were justified. Then there's an ongoing inquiry into this last one with Andy. It's so hard because these people were just suffering so much from their mental illness. And it's like they weren't they were handled with aggression. And I mean, I just, to me, the most damning of the third one is that the officers like she fled. We know where she lives. Let's not chase. And these two guys were like, no, 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 no. let's do a chase. That, to me, is, like, cause for termination that you didn't listen to it. Like, that, to me, is caught. Like, if I was at a fucking Starbucks and I was working as a barista, I would be held to more accountability than this thing. Like, if I made the wrong drink, I would have... I would have a film of me reviewed. I would have a review with my boss. I work in customer service. I am held to a higher standard than police officers because I get reviewed. Mm-hmm. And if I have a bad review, I have to go over it with my manager. I got a few people I want to give a good review to. Talk to me. We didn't thank any patrons. Let's do it at the end. Why not? What if they don't? Because people might listen to the first part. I don't know. Do you think they're listening and then being like, they didn't say me. I'm not doing the rest of the episode. Okay, let's do it at the end. All right, we have three Patreons to thank. And we're going to sing a tune because we need a palate cleanser from that fucking... Yeah, that's wild. the thing. Thank you for sharing that story. Well, I'm, and thank you to the New York Times. It's all them. I'm and so appreciative. And I think they're like, doing really good journalism. They're doing incredible journalism. And that's the whole point of a free press is to fucking find the truth, uncover it, and... And what a world we live in where there's really good journalism and then there's us. You know? You know, we're doing something. And you know who's helping us do it? Who? Give me a J. J. Yeah, you got your J. You got, got your J. J. Now give me a D. D. You got your D. You got your D. J. 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 D. Not your, not judicial doctorate. <laughs> right? Isn't that what it is? Judicial doctorate? Isn't a J. D. getting that? Isn't that like a degree? Yeah. J. D. Do you have a J. D.? We need to know. We need to know. Inquiring minds want to know. And if you do, please, could you counsel us? Because <laughs> I'm sure we're <laughs> speaking wrong. GD, thank you for being a Patreon. What about Rachel? Rachel. 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 Scratch the record. <laughs> I feel like I'm going somewhere with the song and you take it to a whole nother level. I'm so sorry. I like it. I get it. so nervous it's, and sweaty and I just so have to like surprising. <laughs> Rachel, thank you for joining. I hope that's your new ringing tone. And then Quinn just went. It was better if you could see me, right? Because I was doing like a DJ pose. I don't know. And I was, was acting pretty like good I... either way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do one more. Okay. Oh, you know that really nice um, message I read you? (gasps) Elena. Elena, thank you for being a Patreon. Elena, wherever you are, I hope you're not having to read a garbage unicorn book. (laughs) 
hope instead you're taking a look. And was reading a garbage unicorn book, and she kept us in her ear. And I that made me so happy to yeah, hear Elena that. Elena has her... a pro tip. Um, when your kids are <laughs> reading stories to you, just pop in our podcast one headphone on the side they're not on, so you can listen to a podcast about and murder and death. Nod while they're telling you about um, I don't know somewhere over the rainbow. We love a pro tip from a Patreon. Thank you guys so much. Thank um, you. We thank appreciate you, you. you. We can't do it without you. And we love you, if I may be we so bold. We love you. We honestly love you. I don't have time to play coy. I'm going to be honest. We love you, and we're getting tattoos with all your names. Done. In my grandma's handwriting. The ones that come out in a year. Duh. Duh.